0: having an enlarged heart can be a life-threatening problem, uh, even to the point where it may require a heart transplant. Uh, And on the other hand, not having a spiritually enlarged heart is life-threatening to your spiritual life and does, in fact, every time require a heart transplant. So this morning, as we have just heard read these two stanzas from Psalm 119, I want to repeat for you verse 32. This is going to be the focus of our time together. Verse 32 says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. So physically, an enlarged heart could cause some serious problems, maybe requiring a heart transplant. But spiritually, not having an enlarged heart is always fatal and requires a transplant 100% of the time. A spiritually in, enlarged heart is required for anybody who wants to obey God, for anyone who wants to walk with Him, who wants to be joyful in their walk with Him, who, who want to be faithful in their Christian life. Without a spiritually enlarged heart, there is no pleasing God. There is no consistent obedience or joyful relationship with God, and these are the things that every true believer wants. Charles Bridges wrote this, the secret of Christian energy and success is a heart enlarged in the love of God. So we have the psalmist here in verse 32 um, communicating the importance of an enlarged heart, but what is exactly an enlarged heart? What is it, and how may we have one or get one? And so this morning, what I, want to, what I want to do for you is I want to show you what a large heart is and why it's important and how you can get one and keep it healthy. So if, a, if an enlarged heart is required for the Christian life, then I want to tell you what it is in case you don't know, and then tell you how you can get one and keep it healthy. All right? So let's dive into this first um, and, and see what the Holy Spirit might have for us this morning. First of all, I think in order to know what an enlarged heart is and why it's important, we need to look at its nature, the nature of an enlarged heart. And under this point, you will hear what the heart is and how you can get one. All right. So first of all, the nature of an enlarged heart is first and foremost, receiving an enlarged heart comes from God himself, all right? When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and most of you in here probably have done that at some point or another in your Christian experience, in your human experience, uh, that act of faith is evidence that you have received an enlarged heart from God as a gift. Um, This is what happens at regeneration. This is what happens by the work of the Holy Spirit, in everyone who comes to faith, in everyone who puts their trust in Christ. It says this in Ezekiel 36 where we read of the new covenant between God and his people. God is speaking and he says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So if we want to dissect this verse just a little bit, will discover that an enlarged heart is a gift from God himself. He says, I will give you a new heart. And not only is he going to give us a new heart, he's, he calls it a heart of flesh versus a heart of stone. A heart of stone is not receptive to the things of God, a heart of flesh is. And so when you receive a new heart, an enlarged heart from God, it is a heart that's receptive to the things of God. Interested in spiritual matter. And so the first thing we, we must understand about uh, the nature of an enlarged heart is that we receive it from God and it allows us to be responsive to Him. With this new heart also comes freedom. This is what Jesus said in John 8:36: 8, 8, uh, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what does this mean? What was Jesus talking about? Well, the New Testament writers unpacked the teachings of Jesus and the Apostle Paul when unpacking this statement of Christ in Romans 6 argues that we are either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. Everybody on the planet who's ever been born have been slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. There are no free agents. Everybody's a slave. It's just... To whom are you a slave or to what? To sin or to Christ? To sin or to righteousness? So when the Holy Spirit regenerates your soul and gives you this new heart spoken of in Ezekiel, there is freedom from sin. That doesn't mean you won't sin. It simply means that you don't have to and you have power to resist it. You're no longer a slave to it. You're a slave to righteousness in fact it's no longer your boss Paul continuing his exposition of this says this in Romans 8 for the law of the Spirit of life that's the Spirit who gives life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death so this freedom although it was purchased by Christ at a great cost is accomplished and applied by the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit Uh, in, in this context is our heart surgeon. The Holy Spirit is the one who replaces this heart of stone with the heart of flesh. He is the divine heart surgeon. This is an amazing fact. This is how we get a heart of flesh. This is how we get an enlarged heart. The Spirit and the Son work together to make us free. Free from what? As I said, free from sin, free from the fear of death, It gives us a new heart that is um, supple and receptive to God who has created us for himself. Romans 6, again, and having been set free from sin, we've become slaves to righteousness. This all happens because we received a heart transplant, an enlarged heart. This is the freedom that Jesus was talking about back in John 8. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. This is what is meant by the translation that that we used a couple weeks ago of verse 32 in Psalm 119 that says the following: I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. That's the NIV translation of the verse we're in today. So prior to being set free by God, we were enslaved to sin. But since the Holy Spirit has done his heart surgery, then true freedom actually sweeps our soul, and running in the way of God's commands to repeat verse 32, is our new normal. This is what now identifies us. We are those who have a new heart, who run in the way of God's commandments. Now, Now the inclination of our heart is obedience instead of disobedience. Now we long to be in the presence of God where before we resisted it, like Adam and Eve in the garden. You remember how they responded to the confrontation from God over their sin? What they do? They hid. But when, when we receive a new heart, we don't hide any longer from him. We run to him. And so you can kind of, you can kind of give yourself this test. Do, do, I, do I desire to be in the presence of God or do I resist his presence? Do I want to be with Christ or would I rather not? Do I have a new heart or do I not? So we have this new heart that is given to us by a loving God in divine heart surgery. Secondly, under this uh, first point uh, of the nature of the new heart, uh, we receive the new, new heart by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we must exercise it. You know, exercise is very important to maintain a healthy physical heart, right? We're, we're told this all the time by our doctors. You need to lose weight and exercise more. I mean, okay, I'll do that. I'll try. Now, the inclination of our, of our new heart when we receive it is to actually exercise it. As difficult as it is to exercise our spirit, our physical bodies, when you receive a new heart from God, He gives you the motivation to actually exercise your heart, the new one that you've received. Um, it, it, in order to keep it healthy, God gives us this new heart. In order to keep it healthy, we must exercise it. It must continue throughout life. Uh, Throughout the life of a believer, God continues to enlarge our hearts through particular exercise. He continues to enlarge our capacity for spiritual life, spiritual enjoyment, obedience, uh, enlarging our affections for the things of God. This all comes through exercise. So how is the heart exercised? We know how it's exercised physically, but how do we exercise our spiritual hearts? This new heart we received by way of spiritual transplant. Well, first, I want to suggest to you that the heart is exercised when we, gain, when we gain or pursue wisdom and knowledge. When we pursue wisdom and knowledge, the greater supply of wisdom and knowledge, the bigger the heart is, and the greater its capacity to actually serve, obey, experience joy, sacrifice for the kingdom of God. All coming from an increased measure of wisdom and knowledge. And where do we get this wisdom and knowledge? Um, Colossians chapter two says this, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So where do we get wisdom and knowledge? In the treasury of those things, which is in the person of Jesus Christ. So the way you exercise your heart is get to know Christ more. Understand who he is and what he has done. Look into his glory and the amazing condescension that he actually went through to become our Savior, the Savior of sinful people who really had no interest in him prior to the divine work of heart surgery. So uh, in Christ is an endless supply of wisdom and knowledge since he's infinite. In Christ is the place where where when we discover more about him, our hearts, our, our new enlarged hearts, become even more enlarged and more healthy and more capable of spiritual things. So how does this work? How does... Knowing Christ more strengthen your spiritual life. You've, you've been here during our uh, Lord's Supper or communion service. And from time to time, we'll talk to you about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And regularly, we tell you that we're being nourished by Christ, spiritually nourished. You're feeding on Christ. You're learning something more about him. You're thinking more deeply about his goodness, his grace, his love, his mercy. This is delving into the depths of Christ, just around the table, around the elements of the broken bread and the juice, representing His broken body and spilt blood. When we, when we grow in our knowledge of Christ, we're exercising our heart, and, it, and in that exercise, it's, it's enlarged, it's it more proficient, more strength. The knowledge of Christ becomes greater, and it is our spiritual food Colossians 3 again, when Christ, who is your life, Paul said, appears you will be like him. So Paul, talking about the things that will take place in our our experience and becoming like Christ when we see him face to face, acknowledges right up front, Christ, who is your life? You don't have life without him. So if I have up here, a bag of gold and copper, um, and it's filled with gold and copper coins, but the gold coins outnumber the copper coins 10 to 1. What is the possibility of pulling out a gold coin if I reach in there? Ten times the chance, right? More likely I'm going to pull gold out than copper. And so when you fill your, your, your mind and your heart with the excellencies of Christ, when you go deep in the wisdom and knowledge of Christ and then encounter life, what is the most likely thing you will pull out of your source or your, or your reservoir? Things of Christ, right? <laughs> when you, when you are, are saturated with Christ and his word and you have to make a good decision, most likely you'll respond in a spiritually sensitive manner. When, when someone asks for godly advice, most likely you'll give a godly piece of advice because your mind and heart are saturated with spiritual nourishment of Christ. Um, so Paul told the Roman Christians, if you remember in chapter uh, 14, I believe, that they were able to counsel one another because they were full of knowledge What kind of knowledge do you think he was referring to? Secular knowledge? No, knowledge of Christ, of course. The reason that they were competent to counsel one another, to instruct one another, is because they knew Christ. The reason that that you have not only the responsibility, but the competency to minister to one another is because you know Christ. Christ. All right, so, so you're, not, you're not actually sharing the wisdom you got from Grandpa when people come to you about their, about their problems. You're sharing what you know of Christ with these people who are asking. Second Peter chapter 1, he says this, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. How is grace and peace multiplied? Through a knowledge of Christ. Gaining knowledge and wisdom, friends, is the way you exercise your heart. Also in in, uh, the same book, Peter says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would he say that? Because we all have new hearts that need exercise. So the more our hearts are filled with the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord, the more we'll be inclined to please Him. The more effective we'll be in each other's lives, the more passionate we'll be about the glory of our Savior. Another way we can exercise our heart is by practicing faith. Practicing faith, that is, um, believing what God says. Practicing, actually applying that belief system into your life. If the Bible says something about anything, embracing it, going with it, believing it, applying it. And when, and when we take steps of faith in the Christian life, we grow in our trust and affection for God. Our heart is strengthened. Next, another way to exercise the heart is by by knowing God's love. And I don't mean an intellectual knowledge. I mean, we all might be able to write a short paper on the love of God. Uh, we, we know enough verses about it. We, we know our own experience enough, but I'm talking, I'm talking more about a, a, an experiential love. Knowing the love of God by way of experience. Can, can you repeat to your children or your grandchildren reasons why you know that God loves you. Can you do that? So isn't it true when you meditate on the love of God that your heart is enlarged, your affections are increased, that uh, your desire to serve him is increased, you, you experience more comfort, more joy, when you simply contemplate the love of God. Um, I'm, I'm sure most most of you experience this, but when your love is strong, it seems like you have a lot of energy to do whatever needs to be done for the one loved. You ever experienced that? Um, parents go through all sorts of things um, that they wouldn't otherwise go through, but because they love their children, they do it. And spouses do the same kind of thing. You remember when they were building or rebuilding the wall under Nehemiah and how much energy they had and how fast they accomplished the work. This is what Nehemiah recorded. It says, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height. And here's his explanation. Because the people had a mind to work. Why? Because they were in love with Jerusalem. They wanted to see it get done. And so they put in extra time and extra effort. They they weren't willing to sit and and talk about nothing or go play golf. They wanted to get the wall done. And so they did. Because they were in love with Jerusalem. You know, my mom used to have this sign above the, the kitchen sink, and I think it was for me, and it said, attitude determines energy. And I'm sure it was placed above the sink because I hated doing the dishes, and it took me forever to do the dishes. Um, you know, I, I amazed myself in this department. Uh, when I'm out hunting, I can hike all day. But when my, my when my wife asks me to go shopping, it's like oh. the, the, one of the best inventions of any retailer is having. A place to sit in the women's clothing department, you know, and it, this just started happening recently. I remember, where are the chairs in this place? And I I'd mean, I'd, seriously, I'd be worn out in less than an hour. Attitude determines energy. <laughs> you remember when Jacob was working for his wife or his wife-to-be Rachel? The, Moses says that the seven years that he worked for the bride price for his father in law Laban seemed like nothing. Why? Because attitude determines energy. Friends, when you have a love for God, when you have a love for God's people, it seems like nothing to put in a lot of effort. This is how you exercise your heart. As you, as you fall in love with Christ, your Savior. God also uses grief and sorrow to enlarge our hearts, doesn't he? We've been talking about that off and on for the past month or so. God puts us into circumstances that require us to lean on him. And, and a lot of times those circumstances are sad circumstances. The psalmist of course, if you read through the Psalms, you, read, you come across this quite often. It says this in Psalm 30, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosened my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. How did he do that? By putting him in those dire circumstances to start with, which forced the psalmist to run to Christ. That, that exercises the heart. God... God is not only our surgeon, but our fitness trainer. <laughs> he, he comes alongside of us and, and puts us into circumstances to make us work out our new heart, exercise that thing. So we exercise our new hearts to enlarge them, to strengthen them by increasing wisdom and knowledge, by exercising faith, by meditating on God's love and walking through sorrow. That's how your new heart remains healthy. Secondly, let's look at the necessity of an enlarged heart. I've already mentioned some things that relate to the necessity of a large heart, but it's obvious from verse 32, if you'll look at that again, that a, a large, an enlarged heart is necessary to run in the way of God's commandments. You see that. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. And running in the way of God's commandments is something that every genuine believer strives for, isn't it? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So we all want to do that. We all want to be better at it. So, so why do we need, uh, or what do we need to do to, to get an enlarged heart, and why do we need an enlarged heart? Let me, let me start with this, because God's commands are large. You ever notice how broad God's commands are? seems like they cover a lot of different areas of our life. This is what it says in this same psalm that we're studying in verse 96, Psalm 119, verse 96. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. In other words, the psalmist is saying, there's a lot to do. It's exceedingly broad. Having a broad law and a narrow heart is not a good combination now, is it? Having a large law and a small capacity is a recipe for failure. And so we need an enlarged heart in order to carry out the expectations of our large God. Secondly, because of our natural weakness. James 1.14 says this about our weakness. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So the devil didn't make you do all of it. You have some share in the responsibility, right? We we have a natural weakness. We're born with it. We're born with an inability, And and it's a radical inability. It affects every part of us. So how do you think that you're going to become a faithful person? How do you think God's going to turn you into that holy person you desire to be? How's that going to happen? What's his plan or strategy? Well, something has to change, right? I I, I need a new heart, and I need to continually exercise it. If I'm going to be holy, if I'm going to become that man of God that I want to be and that God wants me to be, if, 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 in fact, God has... Uh, predestined that I be conformed to the image of Christ I must have a new heart and it must be exercised the Hebrews author knew this he said this in chapter 12 verse 1 therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside here we go he's exercising his heart let us lay aside every weight and sin why so that we can run the race with perseverance looking to Jesus that's why We need to to have this new heart and we need to exercise it because we're naturally weak. In Galatians, Paul said this, chapter 5, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. You've got a tug-of-war going on between our natural bent and the spirit of God, between what we're born with and our surgeon, spiritual surgeon. Um, For these are opposed to each other, Paul said, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So what do we, do? What do we have here? We, we have the natural man pulling us so strongly in one direction that the Holy Spirit, our, our surgeon, comes along, our fitness trainer comes along and pulls us the opposite direction. No, you don't want to do that. No, yeah, I do. No, you don't. It's kind of what's going on in your spiritual battle. So, so God needs to enlarge our hearts, he needs to exercise our hearts with greater and greater and deeper levels of intensity if we are gonna grow in holiness. <clears throat> Thirdly, we need an enlarged heart because of God's design. You know God is wise, right? Uh, and we can, we can count on him to make right decisions, to plan events, um, to accomplish his goals, his purposes. Um, And because of his infinite wisdom, his purpose and design include our need and his sufficiency. So God has designed us, designed everything this way. He's designed us to be needy people and he is, of course, the all-sufficient answer to our need. This is by God's design. Um, God must perform his part before there can be any Godward movement on our part by his design. So I don't want you to be confused about this. And I think a lot of people get confused when you start talking about sanctification, about becoming like Christ. Unless God initiates the first action, any activity that comes from our hearts is counterfeit. Did you hear that? Unless God initiates an action, any activity, no matter how good it looks, that comes from our hearts is counterfeit. God must initiate. If we initiate and we provide something counterfeit, as good as it may look, it robs God of his glory. Because he gets glory when he initiates, when he acts on our behalf. Not when we pull it off ourselves. God is the all sufficient Savior. I want you to look closely with me, and if you have a marking utensil, I want you to mark the word when in verse 32. When. Is an important word. It's It's a causal word. What that means, it is the cause of being able to run. God is the cause of being able to run in the way of his commandments because God is the one who gives the enlarged heart. God is the one who exercises our enlarged hearts so that we'll run his commandments in the way of his commandments. God gets the glory. God must act first. This is the emphasis of this verse. When God, when you act, I'll be able to run, is what we need to understand. See, only God can enlarge the heart. And I think you probably are aware that this is the basic truth of salvation God must act. This is also a basic truth of sanctification, becoming like Jesus. God must act. Oh, We cooperate, we participate in the sanctifi- sanctification side of the equation, but still God must initiate, God must act, God must exercise. Otherwise it never happens. The weakness that we inherit from our parents is a spiritual weakness. Our natural tendency causes us to be spiritually lethargic and to op- oppose obedience but when we're given this, this new heart, uh, when, when God acts, when God initiates and gives us this enlarged heart at the moment of, of regeneration, he begins to work out our transformation. He begins to accomplish his purposes. It is his work from first to last. He plants the graces uh, in our hearts, uh, the graces of knowledge, faith, love, joy, affections, and so forth. Um, God gives us all these things so that we will... Grow in Christlikeness so that we will have an increasing affection for God and his people and his word. John calls this this, uh, planting of grace the seed of God. Listen how the, the Apostle John describes it in 1 John 3. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? Because God's seed abides in him. God has planted that seed in our hearts. God has given us an enlarged heart. He plants the seeds of grace and knowledge and wisdom and joy and peace which keep us from running full speed into sin. Paul, of course, knew this and he said this to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 13, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, God actually gives you the will to work. You know, well, why do I want to serve in the church? Because God gave you that desire. Why do I want to be generous with my money? Because God gave you that desire. For it's God who works in you, even to the point of giving you a will to do it, which is why he gets the glory. He initiates, he acts. It says this in 1 Kings, that he, speaking of God, may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his rules, which he commanded our fathers. How does this work? God does it, that's how it works. So how, are you going to res- how do we want to respond to this this morning? Uh, I hope you want to respond more than just um, in, an, in simply saying, oh, well, I understand. I understand now that this idea of an enlarged heart and why it's important, what it is, the nature of it and so forth. I want to get past your brain to wherever the seat of your will is. All right? I want you to, I want you to move with me past your understanding of the text to actually applying the text, to doing it. How do we do this? I've got a few ideas for you. The first is this, ask God to enlarge your heart. Pray, request. Uh, Jesus said if you ask a father for a stone, he's going to give you a snake. No. So ask God for this. Ask God to enlarge your heart. Ask God to continue to exercise it beyond your comfort level. You know, I've heard, I don't know if this is true, but unless you exercise uncomfortable, you're really not gaining any ground. So ask God to exercise you. A little bit uncomfortably. It pleases God when we ask these kind of things. I I think this is what Jesus was referring to when he said, ask, seek, and knock. So if we're in the habit of depending on ourselves in the Christian life, uh, we understand and, and experience the sting of failure more than those who depend on God, right? You remember Samson? He wasn't a real good example of this particular area. He became so, so self-confident in his strength that he forgot, or at least acted as if he had forgotten, that that strength was from God. You remember the last time that he was able to... Not the last time, the second to the last time he was able to exercise his unhuman strength? Yeah, they, they tied him up and... Uh, Delilah cut his hair off, and then it says, when the Philistines showed up, he jumped up and thought that he could break the the bonds as before, but was disappointed that God had left him. And he was captured, made a slave, had his eyes plucked out, um, and died grinding a millstone, basically. God granted him one last shot at the Philistines, and he took it by God's grace. But the, the enormous failure and story of Samson's life is his self-confidence, thinking that he could do it without God's help. So ask God for this, ask him. <laughs> if, you're lacking, if you are lacking affections for God, if you're lacking affections for his word, if you're lacking the energy to serve his people, if you're lacking a desire to give sacrificially, these are all signs of self-dependence instead of god dependence. If if you're dependent upon your own strength to do these things that are that are required of people with new hearts, you're going to get tired real quick. So ask god Secondly, avoid a calloused heart. Calloused heart is is really a problem for believers. Even even after we've received this new heart transplant, it can become calloused. Samson's a good example, Um, and there are many others in Scripture. So how do we avoid a calloused heart? A heart that doesn't work too well. First of all, by embracing God's gifts. You know, God has actually given us gifts to avoid this calloused heart. Um, And here are some of his gifts, his word. Don't avoid his word. This This is how he keeps your heart soft and pliable is in the word. He also gives us his church, which is people, not a building, it's people. God gives us... A group of people who are all in the same pursuit. Thirdly, God gives His Holy Spirit. So the first way you avoid a callous heart is by embracing these gifts that God has given, not neglecting them. And it's so easy to neglect them. Secondly, how do you avoid a callous heart? By guarding your heart. One of the ways that that your your heart kind of loses direction and and your heart becomes uh, soft and and weak, or how do you say that in spiritual terms? You want a soft heart, but you don't want to be lazy. So uh, how do you guard your heart? You don't fall in love with worldly things. Worldly things are going to distract you from the things of God. Jesus said this in Luke 21, watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. So, evidently, our hearts can be weighed down by the cares of this life. And Jesus says, watch out for this. And the day will come upon you suddenly like a trap and you won't even see it coming. You, I mean, you wake up and you're like um, all locked up and out of sorts. So, guard your heart. You know, the, it's amazing we we can be actually truly in love with God, and find ourselves drifting away from Him. It's our natural bent, and unless you're diligent and watchful, you will drift. So guard your heart. Another way that you um, keep a soft heart, um, avoid a calloused heart. besides embracing God's gifts and guarding your heart, it's by confessing all sin. Don't have a, a favorite sin that you just refuse to confess. I mean, I think there's nothing more damaging to your walk with Christ than that. Saying yes to everything but no to this, I'm not giving this up, then you're not walking with Christ So, confess all sin. And one reason that's important is that a relationship with God ceases until all sins are confessed, all known sins. Because I think there are there's a way to have unknown sins in your heart. You can still walk with Christ, but all known sins. I'm saying no favorite sins allowed. So unconfessed sins really makes it difficult to, to come into the presence of your Heavenly Father. You remember how much the, the prodigal son struggled with going home. He feared this very thing. So, so confess all your sin. Um, 1 John 3, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So, so I think we all know if we're uh, protecting a secret sin, we all know exactly what it is and how long we've been protecting it, uh, your, your heart condemns you every time you come to the place of repentance. Maybe every time you, you are here on Sunday and we, and we prompt you con- to confess your sin, you, you have this hesitation and resistance because you have this secret sin. Do you want a soft and supple heart. do you want a heart that's in love with Christ, you want to exercise new enlarged heart that's more capable of loving him and serving Him, enjoying Him? Then you can't harbor secret sins. By avoiding unbelief is the next one. How do you avoid a callous heart by avoiding unbelief? Unbelief is so common even in the church, even in the Christian life. Um, by simply believing that God really isn't for you. Believing that he's after you. you know, believing like Jeremiah did in, in Lamentations 3 that no matter which way he looked, things were bad in his spiritual life. Um, so if, if, you're, if you are stuck in the shackles of unbelief, about God's love for you, about God's care for you, about God's interest in you, uh, then it, doesn't, it wouldn't surprise you that you're hesitant to come into his presence. Right? And if you're not convinced someone loves you, you really don't want to be too excited about spending time with them. And, and the only place to, to recover is in his presence, Right? So how's this going to work? Unless, if God is truly the only one who gives an enlarged heart, the only one who exercises an enlarged heart, and you don't want to come into his presence, where does that leave you? We've got to avoid unbeliefs. Next, we've got to avoid pride. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. If God actually opposes proud people, and again, the enlarged heart only comes from his benevolence, what are the chances of receiving more from God's hand if we're prideful in some way? So are you asking God for an enlarged heart? I, that's, that's the encouragement of the day. I wanted, to, I wanted to share with you what an enlarged heart is, how you can get one, and how to keep it healthy. The, the last five points are how to keep it healthy, how to exercise it. Um, this, is, this is the way Paul thought of it. He told the Corinthian church who, who were in need of heart exercise, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it? All right, you've got to have a strong heart to run well. And, and the, the strong heart is, is accomplished through exercise. And so we, we join the author of Hebrews by uh, putting away weight and sin, turning our eyes on Jesus. We, we, we are with Paul. Here, that he's, as he spoke to the Corinthians that we want to receive a prize, we want to run in such a way to receive that prize, so we do everything we can to cooperate with and participate with the, our heart surgeon, the Holy Spirit, by exercising the heart that he has given us. This is, this is the encouragement, and here's the greatest encouragement, God will see to it. Friends, if you have an enlarged heart, It is a gift from God by His grace, and He will see to it that it is exercised. He's committed to your spiritual strength, to your spiritual transformation. You you just keep cooperating with the Spirit, and He will do it. This is a great plan. I, I love this plan. God takes us out of total disinterestedness and gives us a heart we never asked for, promises to exercise that heart so that we'll grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It really is a good plan. And participating here on Sunday after Sunday, uh, being with your small group week after week, being in the word, reading the word, praying, uh, all these things are, are God's initiated activity to exercise this this heart that he gave you. And so we should rejoice in that and thank him for it. And keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of all of this. Let's pray to him right now and thank him for these things. Lord, I do thank you for this work of grace that you have accomplished in most of us in this room. Now there may be, um, and most likely is, someone in this room who who has yet to receive this new heart, who still has a heart of stone, who who really isn't receptive to the things of God. God, in your mercy, I, I pray that now, since it's an act that only you can accomplish and that only you initiate, I pray that you'll do that now because of your grace, because of your enjoyment of seeing sinners transformed into saints. I pray that you'll do that now for every person in this room, that you will grant by the work of our spiritual surgeon, the Holy Spirit, a new heart to every person in this room, and that you'll begin the work of exercising that heart in them today. And for those of us who have this new heart and maybe have gotten a little uh, out of shape with this heart, haven't been exercising it as we could. I, I pray, Father, that you would, again, by this Spirit, our, our, our heart surgeon, our, our fitness trainer, that you would, in fact, exercise this heart even though it's uncomfortable for us. Help us to depend on you. Help us to lean fully on Christ and, and the work of the Spirit and the strength of the Spirit. But God, please exercise our hearts so that we will grow into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.